Welcome to BuildCast, where we delve into the backstories of experts and other players in the built environment to reveal their journey and how they got built. Join us in our conversation to learn from their life experiences, to be the catalyst for innovation, and to make sustainable building mainstream building. Now here is your host and the principal thinker at Build Tank Inc., Robbie Schwartz. Building America Solution Center grew out of the Department of Energy's Building America program, a program that has been a source of innovation in the residential building, energy efficiency, and performance arena for over 25 years. The Building America program leverages cutting-edge building science research to develop the solutions and best practices needed to advance energy efficiency in the homes that we are building today. The Solution Center is the platform the Department of Energy is using to disseminate and provide access to the expert information on hundreds of high-performance construction topics, including applied building science, air sealing and insulation, HVAC, windows, indoor air quality, and much, much more. Recently, the Solution Center added the Building Science Advisor, which is a no-cost web-based tool that provides expert guidance on the moisture durability and energy efficiency of new and retrofit wall assembly designs. The Building Science Advisor helps teach building science principles and can inform residential building designers, builders, engineers, and students of building science on how to specify energy efficient, moisture durable wall assemblies with a simple intuitive interface. The tool leverages expert knowledge and a database of thousands of pre-simulated hydrothermal models to provide rapid feedback and expert guidance on wall assembly design, tailored to your specific climate zone. If you use this simple model link tool, you can fail fast and move forward quickly while limiting risk, exposure, and increasing cost-effective design. It was a real pleasure speaking to the National Lab team of experts that helped bring this tool forward for our collective use and who guided me through their career pathways as well as us through the Building Solution Center and specifically the Building Science Advisor tool. I know you'll enjoy this episode and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Robbie Schwarz, The Buildcast, and today I'm speaking with Mike Lubliner and Andre Desjardins with Oak Ridge National Labs and Chrissy Antonopoulos with Pacific Northwest Labs. How's everybody doing today? Great. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to be talking about the Building Solutions Center, but first, because Mike and Andre are both with Oak Ridge National Labs, can you give us a little insight about what the National Lab is and... Uh, what's the importance of having a national lab? So Oak Ridge National Lab was actually founded as part of the Manhattan Project uh, and back in the uh, early 1940s uh, when the U.S. was drawn into World War II. Oak Ridge was selected as a site for the construction and development of nuclear reactors to, to produce nuclear materials for atomic weapons. Since that time, after the war, the lab's Changed from being a weapons lab to a nuclear energy lab in the 60s to an energy lab in the 1970s. 
So ORNL part of the Department of Energy. We support their research missions and a broad range of activities, which includes buildings, which is the area which Michael and I are involved. Great. And Oak Ridge is located in Tennessee, is that correct? That's right. It's just in East Tennessee, just outside of Knoxville. Great. And does everybody work at that location or are people spread out across the country? The, the lab employs about 6,500 people. It's, it's the largest of all the DOE national laboratories. Sorry, Christy. About 95% of them are, are local. A very large percentage of our, our staff are, are, is local. A lot of the work we do is experimental in nature, and it's hard to work from home and do experiments. Michael is an exception. We've brought Michael in to help support us in some very specific activities, and uh, we allow him to stay in Olympia and, and, and support our efforts. Great, great. And Chrissy, what's the difference between Oak Ridge National Labs and Pacific Northwest National Labs? Yeah, well, Oak Ridge and, and PNNL have a very close relationship and have had that relationship since their inception. PNNL was also a Manhattan Project lab, as was Los Alamos. But I should note, there are 17 national laboratories around the country oh, really? that support the U.S. Department of Energy mission. And so Oak Ridge and PNNL are somewhat unique because of our long legacy relationship, but other national laboratories like NREL, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, came much later, or like the, the Berkeley National Laboratory, which is attached to the UC University of California educational system. Like Oak Ridge, we, since we have legacy and nuclear advancement and research, we have a large directorate that supports that kind of work. We also do a lot of environmental um, remediation, which is the, the nature of the cleanup after uh, those big World War II weapons pushes. We do also have an energy and environment directorate where we support advanced grid development and then more where I live on the building side with code standards and building technologies. And I assume you're located in the Pacific Northwest, but uh, where in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, so the lab itself is located in Richland, Washington, which is southeast of the state, uh, actually pretty close to the border of Idaho and Oregon. PNNL does have a few satellite offices. One is in Seattle, Washington. One is in Portland, Oregon. Um, and then we have a, a DC, a Washington DC office as well that we share with a couple of the other labs. I'm in Portland and have always worked out of the, the Portland, Oregon office. Great. And let's stay with you, Chrissy, and what do you do specifically at PNNL, and how did you get to where you are in, in your current position? Sure. So I'm a building scientist uh, here at the lab, and I support the residential buildings portfolio, um, which is how I'm lucky enough to work with Andre and his team and, and Mike and many others in our group. Uh, we live in this residential building world, and the work that I support is about technology transfer, residential sector, better understanding occupant interactions with technologies, and advancing energy efficiency in both new construction and as well as existing homes. I've been at the lab since 2010 when I started as an intern uh, after my undergraduate degree. 
and they've just never been able to figure out how to kick me out. I think they're <laughs> still working on that. <laughs> I see that you went back and got a PhD as well. I did, yes. You know, the lab has a really great uh, support network for students and people that are interested in continuing their education. So I was able to get my master's and, and PhD while working on really interesting, engaging residential building science projects for DOE. So is your PhD in building science? Well, I wish that existed, but no, my PhD is actually in urban studies and urban systems. My undergraduate work was in economics, so I wasn't aligned with the engineering track. And building science as a discourse is fractured. You know, it exists in parts, in green building, in architecture, in engineering, in the urban sciences discourse and planning discourse. So you kind of have to bounce around. Um, I think there's a couple of universities now that are pulling more comprehensive programs together, but I think most students that are becoming building scientists have found their way in, in roundabout ways. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a hodgepodge of things that are patched together. To be yeah, a... absolutely. So let's go to Andre. Andre, it's kind of the same question. What do you do specifically at Oak Ridge National Labs and how did you get there? I am program manager for residential building integration at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. And our, our focus is primarily in the skin of the building, the roof, walls, and foundations of the building. The lab also has programs in equipment, heating and cooling equipment, as, as well as appliances that anything that in a building that uses energy, we're, we're, we, we have a, an activity in, in, in that space. Our programs tend to be more research and development, uh, developing new technologies, and working with the private sector to, to bring these techno technologies to the market. I've been at the lab since 1991. And prior to that, I was working for a small consulting company that was run by my thesis advisor. Uh, my, my background is actually in aeronautics. And when I was younger, I wanted to be an astronaut. That was my goal in life. This was in the late 60s, early 70s, landing on the moon, development of the space shuttle. But I studied heat and mass transfer. But the focus was on extraterrestrial vehicles and not buildings. But after after the moon landing, uh, for those of you who are old enough you to remember this, the aerospace industry kind of went into a dive. You know, we kind of declared victory, and and people who were getting laid off who were much much smarter and more experienced than I. And then all of a sudden, we we had an oil embargo, and energy efficiency of buildings became a, a topic of interest and heat transfer is heat transfer whether it's in space or it's on, on, on planet earth so we said well let's recreate ourselves and so the consulting company did a 180 degree turn started getting involved in building science and i worked there for about 18 years till my advisor sold the company and i decided it was time to find something different and uh, my best customer was Oak Ridge National Laboratory, and so I applied for a job here and was fortunate enough to 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 land it. And so, uh, and I've been here ever since. So I actually remember when gasoline cost 19 cents a gallon. I don't know. So probably not a whole lot of us that remember that 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 price level. But energy has become a whole lot more dear in the last you know 40 years, and I've been fortunate to be 
able to be on the ground level and, and, and watch the industry recreate yeah. itself, uh, which has really been kind of an interesting uh, adventure. Yeah. Is the move at the lab from energy to carbon? <laughs> we joke, because I have a Chrissy, if you, if you folks do this as well, we, we joke that right now we work for the Department of Energy, but in the next five years, it'll be called the Department of Carbon. You know, we, we keep adding more and more requirements to our buildings. When you, you know, initially it was to keep us dry, and then it was to keep us warm. Then it was to keep us warm, but to do that in a very cost-effective manner. Now we do that and, and reduce carbon emissions. And every time we add another requirement, it just makes things much much more complicated. And frankly, you know, I I think the next generation of building scientists really have a significant challenge on their hands because we need to re recreate the entire industry in the next 20 years. And you know, good luck to them. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for that insight there. So lastly, let's go to Mike. And Mike, kind of the same question. What do you actually do at, at Oak Ridge and how did you get there? Yeah, so, so presently, I, I, I've been at Oak Ridge for about 18 months as a contract employee. I came from about 40 years uh, in Washington State, working for Washington State University Energy Program, running the energy codes for residential buildings, working in research with Department of Energy. We did some work uh, with PNNL and indoor air quality and baseline studies and actually looked at some homes out in your area to look at the challenges of um, indoor air quality and, and so we build homes tighter. Uh, we want to make sure we ventilate it right. So that was a cool study. Uh, I've been working uh, quite a bit with low-income weatherization program at Oak Ridge, which is a really important component to DOE's commitment to social equity as we decarb housing and retrofit poor people's homes. Uh, I've been doing that, uh, working a little bit on an interesting study related to that with vermiculite and vermiculite insulation in attics and the issue of asbestos exposure. So some int very interesting research on the low-income weatherization side. I also have been working with uh, some research uh, with some factory-built housing partners, uh, some cutting-edge research to move into the zero-energy-ready uh, HUD code manufactured housing sector and deploy that in a big way. That's been a very exciting area that I've been working in in that sector dating back 40 years to my work in the Pacific Northwest at WSU, mostly both in site-built and off-site housing quite a bit. I'm still doing a, a bit of that, and we're supporting the Zero Energy Ready program for DOE, which is deploying, hopefully going to be decarbon. My background, what, what got me in here was um, I started off, um, like, like Andre, I'm an older dog here, still learning new tricks, uh, a little bit slower, but I've been blessed to get into the lab and work with all these brilliant people. But I have a PhD in the School of Hard Knocks and Schmoozing. I started back in the 70s at a small college in Washington State called the Evergreen State College. And I was able to experience the oil embargoes like Andre was talking about, all the way up through uh, Jimmy Carter as president and his, uh, his commitment to renewable energy. And uh, started, I started working in program there, which was called Energy Systems. And it got me building methane digesters for organic farm, getting involved in building a farmhouse out there, building solar panels, uh, composting toilets, really appropriate technology. And we had appropriate technology and energy program that was tied to uh, science and math and STEM activities. And that was early before the major universities were doing that kind of stuff. 
I'm proud to say that WSU is now working with a number of universities around the country, and WSU now has a, a master's program in residential building science. And uh, this is something that we worked with because we really think that the worth, workforce training is a huge gap. We need to work in that area. So if you're interested, uh, WSU ties those degree programs to um, their School of Architecture, Engineering, and Construction Management. So there is an important connection that I was able to get at Evergreen years ago that's now coming back in a big way at the universities. And uh, we are going to be teaching, and we have done some teaching of the Building Science Advisor and the Building Solutions Center, which is a great resource to, to uh, educators and to students. Um, and that's why we're here today. Yeah, basically, that's why I'm here. It's, it's all Jimmy Carter's fault. Basically, got me involved in energy conservation and solar. I started working for Grumman a big aerospace company uh, selling solar panels to huge distribution and large projects, some of which are still working today. My solar panels, my thermal panels are still working on my house. It's a long, strange trip. I did move into the state government when Reagan got rid of the tax credits and have been working in research development and program implementation with the utilities ever since. Thanks for inviting us here today, Robbie. Yeah, well, thanks so much for everyone's background. It's impressive and always great to hear people's stories there. As you said, we're here to talk about the Building America Solutions Center. And who wants to give us a background about the Solutions Center and, and how it was developed and why we should care about it? I can do that. So we started building out the, the Building America Solution Center back in 2013. One of the DOE building technology offices residential programs. This is a legacy program that's been around since the 90s called Building America. This program has been instrumental in some of the advancements that we've seen in residential building technology advancements. And the novelty of this program was or is that DOE put together what are called teams, Building America teams, that consist of dynamic and diverse entities. Uh, so this would be partnerships between kind of boots on, on the ground, contractors and consultants, universities, the national laboratories, nonprofit research organizations, manufacturers, a, a really wide range of stakeholder groups involved in advancing the efficiency of residential buildings. And the teams would get funded from the U.S. Department of Energy to execute a field research study. So this is all in the real world research. Hey, we want to figure out how to apply advanced thermal enclosures in the field. Uh, here are our technology applications. Here are our goals in terms of energy and cost savings potential. Okay, teams, fi figure out how to do this. Um, you're gonna have 10 field sites. Here's your climate zone that you're targeting, and let's go see what we can find out in, in the field. So there is a legacy of this kind of research, as I mentioned, that's been going on since the 1990s. Well, in the 2010s, there were two managers that came from EPA over to DOE, and that was Sam Rashkin and Eric Whirling. And 
they both saw this legacy of research that was housed by the Building America program and, and realized that this research program has done a lot of the seminal building science around the advancement and the objectives of industry. And it's all sitting on a dusty shelf somewhere, buried in reports, buried in technical documentation and not easily accessible. So the genesis of the Building America Solution Center was to take all of that legacy information and create a library of sorts or a repository that can be made available to industry. And the goal was to make it easily digestible and to also have the backed research supported by the US DOE. And so we embarked on creating this repository back in 2013. It was one of my first projects um, as a research associate at, at the laboratory and figuring out ways that we could set up this best this best practices. So we started with new homes uh, supporting the Energy Star Certified Home Program, as well as the DOE Zero Energy Ready Home Program, which was the kind of step up advancement. At that time, the Zero Energy Ready Home Emerging. Uh, same with the Indoor Air Plus Program, which is the IAQ portion of Zero Energy Ready Homes and then expanding out to EPA's water sense as well. From there, we expanded into existing buildings uh, with existing homes tools. We expanded into resilience, uh, culling together information that supports disaster resistance for extreme weather events, um, and continuing to add to this library of information um, all the way till now where we are combining and adding new whole tools, such as the Building Science Advisor, um, which will help builders and remodelers create moisture durable and high thermal performance building assemblies. Maybe to give this information that's on this site a little bit more credibility for people listening, can you tell us some of the teams that, that did this research at the beginning and some of the teams that are, are maybe doing uh, some of the new research, like in the debt disaster resi resiliency side of it. Um, I know yeah. that Building Science Corp, for example, was one of those teams, and uh, I think everybody knows that group. Absolutely. Building Science Corporation has been one of the, you know, legacy teams involved in Building America um, research. So I don't want to leave anyone out. So I'm going to I'm going to list and maybe Robbie, we can go back later because I would hate for somebody to feel left out. But Building Science Corporation, Fraunhofer, Home Innovation Research Labs, uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology, the University of Minnesota, South Face, Stephen Winter Associates, Newport Partners, all of the labs, well, all of the labs, meaning Pacific Northwest National Lab, Oak Ridge National Lab, Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, and NREL are the kind of core labs that, that support this, and many others. Um, the, yeah. the teams went through iterations from the 90s until the 2010s, and then took a break. 
And DOE has recently announced the creation of new teams. It's a really great model. And these teams will be focused on the existing homes space with an eye for energy equity and community engagement. So there's a whole list of very recent awardees as well. Is that under the guise of Building America still or just the DOE? No, this is uh, Building America. When you look at the Building Solutions Center, uh, you would go to basc.pnnl.gov. And we're together, we're looking at the homepage of this solution center. And I'm looking at 12 tiles that have different things on each tile, beginning with building components and ending with mobile apps. Can you guys describe to me what some of these tiles are? And then after we get through that, we'll dive into one of those tiles specifically so we can save the building science advisor for, for last. Yeah, sure. Well, so let me just tell you what the core of the content is in here. And that would be the guides. So the guides A to Z tile is going to take the user to the core set of content that we have in the Solution Center. Every guide, what we call a guide, is an applied building science measure from advanced framing details for openings to window installation. And each guide will walk the user through a very templated set of information. It will give you an, a scope of work so if you were going to create construction documentation, put this into a bid, uh, you will find a scope, soup to nuts, of what should happen for applying this particular building science measure. You're going to find a description of why it's important and what the best practices are from a, again, building science best practices researched in the field documented perspective so when it comes to insulating corners uh, we walk you through the exact step-by-step -step method for getting from point a to point b we provide health and safety information climate considerations of course different measures have uh, different applications depending on what climate zone you're in we have training materials which include happy face you did it correctly sad face this is a really poor application of insulating and advanced framing. We also have a lot of videos, training presentations in there as well. We have CAD files. If you're in new construction and need to draw or need to have construction drawings for the particular measure, we tell you how to comply with code standards and programs. So we'll tell you what that measure needs to be spec'd at for the IRC, the IECC, but also the above code programs such as energy. G-STAR, Zero Energy Ready Home, et cetera. And then we'll link you to all of the legacy research that's been done at the DOE that supports that particular measure. So all of the proven best practices. So if you want to dig into the technical detail of that particular measure, you can go there. So the homepage, which let me just say, we are in the middle of revamping this whole site. So pretty soon it's going to look different. But 
the home page is designed to show you different ways to search for content. It, we have culled this content together for disaster resistance. Uh, so if you are building or renovating in homes in homes in areas with uh, susceptibility to certain natural disasters. So if you need to be hurricane durable in the southeast, we walk you through the best practices for durability um, in that particular uh, climate. If you need to be wildfire durable in the west, we will walk you through best practices for wildfire durability. And, and the reason why this is important is because there are places where energy efficiency best practices complement resilience, and there are also some conflicts. And we wanna make sure that folks in the field have access to that. For, for example, in a hot summer, um, you would want overhangs to shade your windows, particularly on southern and western facing walls. Well, if you're in Louisiana, that might be a conflict with uh, dirt building durable homes for hurricanes because the high winds can cause uplift that, and that's one way that you can blow your roof off of your house. So we fine tune all of the complementing and conflicting pieces of information uh, so you can build or renovate in areas that are susceptible to natural disasters. Uh, there are other examples in there as well. One that there's the home improvement expert and the existing homes tool that walks you through the, the guides and the information relative to renovating existing homes. And we are cognizant of making sure to present information in a way that provides an order. Like, for example, before you go super insulate, you want to make sure that you're that you don't have a bunch of knob and tube wiring, uh, that you have proper ventilation so you don't have uh, uh, combustion appliance issues or indoor air quality issues. So we kind of walk through the, the steps to renovating homes, uh, providing deep energy retrofits on homes. And then we have a new IECC climate tool for complying with the IECC 2021 code and where we provide building assemblies. This is a tool that's under development right now uh, where you can go to your climate zone and find a list of assemblies that comply with the 2021 IECC. As I said, this is under, under construction and that's a really good segue into the building science advisor, one of the things that we're building in is moisture durability into those assemblies. And the building science advisor is a tool developed by Oak Ridge to assess thermal and moisture durability of building assemblies. So we provide a direct link there. Throughout the research that's been done with Building America program, has moisture really brought itself forward as the key thing that uh, we want to focus on? Why was this tool developed, I guess, yeah. is the real question. Let me step in. So I, I think you can sit back and think for a second about what causes buildings to fail. I would challenge you to come up with something other than Mother Nature that isn't, it doesn't involve water. When our, when our buildings get wet, they, they lose their energy efficiency. 
when our buildings get wet, we get mold and mildew growth on, on components. Metal, metal begins to corrode. Water attracts vermin, insect infestations. And then there are all the aesthetic issues with staining on the interior walls or your cladding become covered with algae and things of, of that nature. So virtually every problem, sort of, you know, a hurricane blowing your house down has moisture associated with it. And so, you know, we asked the builders, you know, what, what are you worried about? In fact, the National Association of Home Builders, about four years, four or five years ago, did a survey of their uh, membership and asked them, what keeps you up at night? And the top two answers were moisture in walls and moisture in roofs. So builders worry about moisture as well. And, and I think if you look at what creates a, a callback, your energy efficiency calculations are off by 5%. I would challenge anybody would even know that. But if the water is dripping on the president's desk, you're going to get a call back that morning. So builders are very sensitive to uh, issues associated with moisture. And so we, we were interested in how big of a problem is this. And surprisingly, the Federal Reserve Board did a survey again, about four or five years ago, asking homeowners about their repair history. And this was actually a questionnaire that was attached to the census. And was I think they had about 80,000 respondees to the survey. And what they discovered out of that survey was that home repair is about $130 billion a year problem in the U.S. And almost 25 to 30% of that is due to moisture. So again, moisture is you know, percolating to the top of the list in terms of issues associated with home ownership. And another thing that was really interesting is that what was discovered in that survey was that people who are more economically challenged are actually paying almost 25 to 30% more for home repair than the, uh, the upper, upper income tiers of our society. So not only is moisture a problem, but it's a bigger problem for those who are economically disadvantaged. So all of these things kind of led us to wanting to come up with a tool that looks at moisture and would give people advice on, on how to either design a building or to retrofit a building such that you would not have a moisture-related problem with, with your design. So why is this a problem today? You know, our parents and our, and our grandparents really didn't have a whole lot of problems with buildings in terms of moisture, but back then, we didn't have any insulation. The buildings leaked air like a son of a gun. So if water got into the wall, it would dry out quickly and, and, and wasn't a problem. But now that we want our buildings to be airtight, we want to add a lot of energy uh, insulation and make them energy efficient. Now, when water gets into the structure, it becomes resident for a much longer period of time. And it's the combination of the moisture getting in and staying there for a period of time, which causes the problem. A wall that gets wet and dries quickly doesn't have an issue. A wall that gets wet and stays wet for a long period of time is where we tend to have all of our problems. And why is that? Well, not only are the energy efficiency requirements changing, but the materials that we use are changing. You know, again, our parents and our grandparents' homes had single single paid windows. We call them condensers, right? I mean, you you be able to use the window to dry out your building because uh, it would be so cold in the winter that all the moisture in the house would condense on the window. We, we build with sheetrock now. We used to build with plaster. Our, our buildings, again, were not very airtight 20, 30, 40 years ago. 
So materials are changing. You know, uh, there's so many new materials on the market today. Foam plastics. Uh, we didn't have foam plastics 20 years ago, and they're fairly impermeable. So when water gets in behind them, it's hard for water to get through them and out of the building envelope. So they increase the the time that water stays into the structure. So there, you know, all of these issues have kind of added up to the fact that our buildings that we build today are more susceptible to moisture-related damage. So you need to be a little bit more clever in terms of how do you design the building. And the building design, the building science advisor is there to kind of give you advice. The, the intent is to uh, allow a user, whether it be a builder, a contractor, a homeowner, uh, a researcher, to go in and input your, your design and the, the tool basically tells you whether you're going to have a moisture durability problem or not. Now, it, it's not intended to replace the scientific tools. This is not a scientific tool. This is a one significant figure type of tool. It's meant to give advice, and it's not intended to replace the computer, uh, the, the consultants or the computer modelers or the experts in the field. But its intent is to give pretty much instantaneous feedback to the user of the tool so that he can make a decision. And you know, a, a, a typical use of the tool, I think, would be a builder shows up on a job site in the morning and he expects extruded polystyrene foam for for an application and there's a pile of expanded polystyrene foam sitting there. Can he accept that as a as a an alternate material? Well from a moisture durability perspective, you could go to the building science advisor, input the construction, tell the tool where the building is, run it with both products and see if the performance is similar. And if it is, well then no problem accepting that material substitution. And he can do that. You know, the tool like all other tools, the first time you run it, it takes you 30 minutes. The second time, it takes you five minutes. The third time, it takes you 30 seconds. It's very easy to run, gives you instantaneous response. So you can come up with running several scenarios in a very, very short period of time. We, you know, When people are looking at designing buildings, they don't want to spend an hour or two hours worried about the moisture. This is a, a you know something that they might be able to spend five minutes doing. And so the intent was to make it fast, make it simple, make it reasonably accurate, but not as accurate as, like I said, you know, computer models or the other tools that are available to researchers or people who are more expert in this area. It's, it's, it is limited in terms of the configurations that are available. It only covers very typical constructions, stick built constructions, masonry constructions. If you go in and ask it for some esoteric type of wall assembly, it's not built into the database. You know, the tool basically operates quickly because there's a huge database of computer simulations that reside in the tool. So if the tool doesn't have the system that you're looking for, then it just doesn't have an answer for you. And what we've tried to do is to make the tool cover 85% of the waterfront, everything that's very traditional in construction and doesn't include a lot of the, the more specialized constructions for that you got to go to the experts or go to the, the simulation tools to get get answers so that's kind of a kind of a, a quick overview of the tool get a, a one one significant figure order of magnitude type of assessment of your construction it does consider the location of the building the construction and it looks at like i said both both moisture and energy but the focus is the the, the novel part is really the moisture part the energy there are lots of other tools that will kind of give you that information but the, the moisture response and the durability is uh, kind of the unique aspect of the building science advisor. Uh, Mike, you had something to add there? 
we always hear is your grandparents' old houses were less forgiving. They were also colder and less comfortable, and, and uh, today's rates would cost a lot of money. And uh, this whole issue, I think Joe Steerick puts it well when he says there's no uh, thermodynamic free lunch. You know, you have to understand the interaction of the system in today's modern homes, whether you're retrofitting a home that's older or a brand or building a brand new home. And that's where the building science advisor and the building solution center can help. I kind of look at it as the, uh, the building science advisor is a book in a library called the building American solution center, kind of a corny analogy, but and you need to understand that there's a lot of valuable things in the library besides the tool. The tool is essential for understanding the choices you might make in retrofitting a wall. And you have to understand that there are other things, system interactions that will cause a moisture problem. So the tool says, if you've done all these other things right, this is your, this is your, this is your goal. Um, this is, and so you need to build tight, you need to ventilate right. You need to uh, make sure that you've sized the AC correctly, uh, particularly in hot, humid climates, so it doesn't cycle and cause comfort and moisture probability problems with cold side vapor retarder. There's a question you had about why is it important. I'm going to give you some historic two examples. I'll make it quick. Uh, one is in the Pacific Northwest back in the in the 80s and the 90s, uh, there was a whole bunch of California contractors coming up and building in uh foam uh, with drive-it type systems, uh, foam sheathing, low-rise commercial buildings, wood frame buildings. There was out there, it was growing really quickly. Everything was crazy. And within a, 10 years between Vancouver, British Columbia, Seattle and Portland, you had over almost a billion dollars in litigation and moisture damage. That's huge, billion dollars just in the Northwest. On the other side, Southeast US, people were putting vinyl drywall in homes. Uh, and also, um, particularly in, in factory-built homes where there's a lot of supply leakage, um, oversizing uh, air conditioners, and um, what was doing, you were having moisture come into the home, and it was condensing on a cold side vapor retarder, which is the drywall. So understanding the interaction of the sizing of the equipment and the need for ventilation and water-driven rain and the need for ventilated cavities, and all these things have progressed. and developed in our building codes in our tools as a result of some of these huge failures, whether they're psychometric failures of controlling humidity in hot, humid climates or wind-driven rain in the Pacific Northwest or freezing of walls back in the old days from single-pane windows. So Building Science Advisor will get you to the right answer and the Building America Solutions Center will get you to understanding the broader implications of the, the assumptions within Building Science Advisor. You've built it to code, you've built it right, ventilate right, all those things. And I, I think that's the kind of uh, important thing is the, that you need to go to the Building Solutions Center and the link between the Building Science Advisor and the assemblies that you have specified to analyze, it then provides you good research, good case studies, best practice from the Solution Center and links those two together. And I think it's important that moisture does drive us in the way we build homes, the way we have built homes. And it's going to be more important as we look at cradle to grave analysis and how long these homes last as effective, comfortable, energy efficient homes in the future. Great. So when I'm looking at the Solution Center here and I see the Building Science Advisor tab, 
or tile mm -hmm. here uh, in the current setup. If I press it, that tab, it take, starts taking me into the site. So can you help talk us through sure. navigating this site? Yeah, so th this will give you a, just a quick tour, um, automatic tour of the homepage and uh, shows you this is the things that you can do. Welcome to the Billing Science Advisor. And um, it allows you to understand that there are ways to address the pre-assessments. It tells you what the applications, the case studies are. It gives you a big, quick tour, the one-minute tour. Okay, so we'll hit getting started here, but it looks like you have the ability to assess new construction and also existing home retrofits. That is correct. Uh, we added the retrofit tool. Um, it, first thing it's going to do is ask you to specify the climate zone, and then you can look at uh, advice for uh, retrofit and um, based on the assemblies that you specify. So if you wanted, we could go in here. I think your climate zone is what, 5B or some yeah. Colorado? Yeah. Does it vary much? No, well, up in the mountains, we get into climate zone six and seven, but let's use climate yeah. zone 5B. So we've just chosen that. And for those listening, yeah. it highlights the climate zone that's climate zone 5B in a on a black and white map of the United States with, in this case, a highlighted green for all those counties that are, are 5B. So Mike, that's I assume we hit next after we, we do that. That's right, always go to next after it. Okay. So now it's going to look at, uh, give you a wall assembly There's, and it'll allow you to specify the various layers of the wall assembly. This is going to evaluate wall moisture risk and R value. And, fact, and it looks like it starts from interior finish and goes out to exterior cladding. Right. And if you want, you could just hit on the pop-up, say, for its interior, for the exterior finish, and it'll give you the options. There's a little triangle. Oh, yeah. There's some information on it, some best practice information, and then you can select different types of uh, of exterior finishes. I think the one we okay. had it defaults is a... Vinyl metal siding is was the default there. I'm going to hit fiber cement siding because that's popular in this climate zone in, in the Denver metro really? area here. It's like we're working from the in exterior to the interior here. So the next one is an airspace. In Colorado, we don't often, unfortunately, put in a drain space. So I'm going to put mm -hmm. none because that's typical in our building market here. Continuous insulation. We're finding in the Denver metro area that builders are still reluctant to use continuous uh, insulation. Is is that's what's been found through the Building America program as well? Yeah, I think that's the biggest transformation in the market for new construction is this, is this CI, continuous insulation. It's a challenge for builders to change. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna input none uh, mm -hmm. in there for continuous insulation. Continuous insulation thickness would be next and it's it's gonna be none as well. Water resistant barrier. What is it asking us here? So that's asking you for, is there some sort of a house, house wrap or and how you're addressing the protection from wind driven rain? Okay, so house wrap, permeable coated membrane, impermeable coated membrane. So typical house wrap, they're making an assumption that all house wraps are equal to or better than 10 perms. To simplify the number of simulations that are required to be input into the database, one of the simplifications is that we've lumped 
a lot of product categories together. So if you go back to that that doubt that that collection, you'll see that well, effectively what you've done is well, what we've done is everything less than one firm is cre is treated equally. Everything between one and ten firms is treated equally. Everything above ten firms is treated equally. So your comment is correct. All house wraps, even though there is some difference between the different manufacturers, but they're all over ten firms. So in this in this model, again to just simplify the the amount of data that has to go into the database, we've we've made these generalizations and, and done a lot of lumping to reduce the number of permutations of of simulations that are in the database. Why did you do that? Well, as it is, we have almost 100,000 simulations in the database. If we hadn't done these these assumptions, there'd be millions. It's, uh, you know, think about how many combinations of products that you can put out there. You know, for each one of these eight or nine uh, selections, there are probably dozens of products. So if you multiply that out, you end up with uh, just a staggering amount of information. So one of the simplifications which leads to the the, you know, the the comment that I was making earlier, which is this is an estimate. This is not perfect. If you really want to know exactly how your system is going to perform, then hire a consultant and run a computer simulation. This is simplifying the number of uh, of options by combining them, but but this information is free and instantaneous. So that's the the price you pay for having the the, the quick answer. Yeah, and also you you want ease of use and the ability for any builder uh, off the street to jump in here and be able to use it. Which, but exactly, it also yeah. it looks like it's also priming them to say, well, maybe I in the future I might want to learn what the actual permeability of that material is. So it's 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 also educational here and helping people. Uh, so yep. the next choice yep. is uh, with regards to exterior sheathing, plywood, OSB, fiberwood, or wood plank, or structural sheathing with foil uh, there. So we're going to choose uh, plywood OSB. Most of the framing, wood structural wall framing in, in our market is 2x6, 16-inch on center wood framing. So you have a variety of choices of different framing that you can use, but we're going we're gonna to choose that. Sorry, one of the one of the simplifications you know, uh, in terms of the wall structure, you know, insulated concrete forms are not there. Structural insulated panels are not there, only because they represent a fairly modest portion of of the market. And again, the the concept here was to try to get as much data into the database on things that are more traditional. And and as you pointed out, virtually everywhere uh, in the U.S., stick built is you know, stick built represents 85% of the market, I think, or more. So yeah. our focus was on on that type of construction. And it looks like you might be able to get similar results if you were looking at a SIP panel or structural insulated panel, for example. Maybe you could put in a two by six wall and then in your cavity insulation, choose a closed cell foam or a open cell foam or something like that. And kind of, I, I, that's a really good uh, suggestion. One of the things we're talking with those that are in, like, you know, we have the 20-80 rule, 80% is what we've designed this thing. Those other examples, we can work with this industry to, to look at equivalent workarounds. And that's a direction we'd like to get feedback on um, how, how, we, how can we um, do some uh, complementary simulations or how can we do workarounds within this tool? I think it's a, a great suggestion. And again, it gets back to what Andre said about you know how how we want this tool to work for as many people uh, without having to do 
you know, billions of simulations, but uh, these are new components and we want to assess them. So thanks. Great. So we're going to choose the cavity insulation as a fiberglass cellulose or open cell foam. So this is a blown product, blown insulation product category that incorporates all of those and gives you a rough R value, it looks like. Next, we get into uh, interior vapor retarder. In Climate Zone 5, that would be appropriate here. Uh, I don't see a choice for latex paint or a, a class three vapor retarder. We have a class one polyethylene vapor retarder, a class two craft paper retarder. Is there a reason why we don't have an option for class three? Is that maybe because I didn't choose an airspace? Bug? No, it's, it's it's under the interior finish because latex paint goes on right. on the sheetrock. So we 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 kind of put it we we kind of put it there. So, okay. but uh, that's, that's a good point. And maybe we want to add it there, uh, but it, it's coming. <laughs> okay. If, 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 well, let's, if let's choose a uh, retarder, then you would pick none here. Okay. Okay. Let's choose none. Cause uh, mo most of us are in, in our market here are using drywall latex paint as the interior finish um, there. Yeah. You, you know, you, you pick climate zone 5B uh, because you live there, but. 5B is not a hard climate to build in because it's so dry. So you yes. don't have much moisture problems in the first place, but you can get away with just latex paint. It's move yeah. the wall to a different climate and see what happens. Yeah. Some of the other climates um, within Colorado would be interesting to go. Anyway, okay. you're on the right well, track. Let's, and you're um, let's hit next here and see what the results are. Yeah, before, before you did that, if you want to go back, just point out to the, to the group that there's a, a graphic assembly that's showing you the assembly of the walls uh, there uh, as well. Thanks. Yeah. So, so you have a you have a drawing that's complementing the assembly layers. There okay. So we hit next uh, and it says approach. Uh, can you walk me through this page? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, you have the ability to do new construction or if you're doing retrofit, it asks you, is it a gut rehab? Is it, if you're gonna be pulling access to this wall assembly from the exterior or the in interior. And based on that, it's gonna give you different advice from this that's that's driven from the solution center library. Okay, so we're gonna pick uh, new construction. What happens now? Mm -hmm. So you go to next. Okay, it looks like we're on a result page yeah. now. So this is now showing you the assembly uh, that you specified, both the drawing of it and, and the details and, uh, based on the pop-ups we selected and the climate zone is noted. And then the what's kind of looking like a gas gauge here will show you the risk, the uh, moisture durability uh, index. And Andre, you can explain where that comes from. Um, and then below that is an R value, an, uh, which is an, a view value computation that's based uh, and then an indication of whether you meet code, uh, the IECC code for that climate. So you're right on the yellow to the light green risk, and uh, you have a, a R18.3 is the overall assembly is, is as it's showing now. 16.3. I'm sorry, my eyes are uh, bad. Yeah. Here. <laughs> and it looks like we're just under the new code wall compliance as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So now this is uh, comparing the walls to IECC 2018. It's an upgrade that needs to be done here to change this to the 2024 code when that when that comes uh, becomes available. So you are looking at the most recent code. I don't know what you know the states adopt code 
And so they and they don't necessarily adopt the most recent code. I don't know what the code in, in the state of Colorado is, whether you adopt 2018 or an earlier version. Not sure. And it may yeah, be well, more it's good to know. That. It's good to know that it's uh, based off of the 2018 code in Colorado specifically, because we're a home rule state and each jurisdiction is adopting it, you know, whichever code they want to, in essence. Yeah. So we can take that into consideration here. I think the the main point you're trying to show is this moisture durability uh, scale here. If you hit that little question mark by the moisture durability just below the scale, yeah, right there. So this is a description of what is being used to, cre uh, to create this graphic. The ASHRAE has a standard which they've developed, which is uh, called the moisture design of building envelopes. And within that standard, they use bold growth as their criteria for moisture performance. And the reason that they select mold is that if mold is used as a low-hanging fruit, if you don't have a mold problem, you probably won't have a, mold pro uh, a moisture problem at all. Issues like corrosion or dissolution or wood rot require higher levels of moisture than mold does. So it becomes basically the, the floor for uh, moisture durability. If you pass the mold test, you pass pretty much everything else. So within that standard, they have a, a calculation procedure, which is described here, use a qualitative rating of one through six. And if you look at the graph at, at the gas gauge, uh, you'll see that there are six boxes there. And they correspond to this mold index growth of zero to six, I'm sorry. And the, the standard basically says that if you have a mold index of three or less, then you have a moisture safe wall. So count the boxes. You're in the, the green box, which is the second box. And so this simulation in the database is probably giving a mold index value of two, which is less than three. So therefore it's safe. And we're showing that as kind of being on the past, uh, past side. If the mold index went up to four or five, then you would be in the orange and getting towards the red colors. And those would be indications of failure. And what would happen if you ended up with a, a simulation that created a mold index of that value, the bottom of the sheet here would show you a way of, of, or give you a suggestion on how to make that better. So we can try to make, you know, make this better. So if you look at you know, the left-hand side, those are all your inputs that you originally put in for, for your wall. So if we go back, now, I'm, I'm thinking that part of the reason that you're getting a, a value of around two instead of a lower value is that you have no vapor control on the interior side. So what I would suggest we try is let's go back to the wall construction. Let's put craft paper there and let's see what happens. So if you go down to the page and, and Michael loves this because you have to hit previous three times or two times or whatever, a couple of times, go back to the wall section. Uh, mm -hmm. There we are. So drop down and replace your vapor barrier from none uh, craft paper. And I'll go forward a couple of times again. Bingo. And there you are. Look at that. So you would have so what's what's being suggested here is that there's enough moisture inside of the building itself that's you know being generated by people and cooking and the, you know the way we live that some of that water vapor is getting into the wall assembly. And because Denver is, you know, fairly cold climate, at least from 
from Andre's perspective, uh, I'm a southerner, right? So cold to me. The water would then, the water vapor would then be building up in the exterior sheathing. And so adding a little bit more vapor resistance on the interior side reduces that flow from the inside of the building and improves the moisture durability of the construction. So and this is a good example of how you could use this as a teaching tool, right? A potential improvement to the code would be to add a one-perm vapor retarder requirement to your code. Now that costs money and people might complain about that, but from a moisture durability perspective, that would be a good thing. Yeah, so just so everybody listening understands the risk table now is showing all the way green that it, there's absolutely no moisture durability risk uh, in the assembly since we changed it from uh, using just latex paint or no interior vapor retarder requirement uh, to the craft paper. So do you think that is accurate? Because wouldn't the latex paint on the interior surface be a class three vapor retarder? It is, but the craft paper is, is closer to a class two. It's a one firm, roughly one firm. So you've reduced the vapor flow by about a factor of eight into the wall okay. assembly. Latex okay. paint has roughly a permeance of about eight firms, firm surface to a one firm. Okay. And this doesn't take into account the ability of moisture to move with air into the assembly. This does not include air airflow. Now, you know, airflow is uh, kind of a, a two-edged sword. If air flows directly through a wall assembly from the exterior to the interior, it doesn't deposit itself into the into the structure. If you have air flowing through a tortuous path, and it does get absorbed into the structure. A lot of people have made a big thing about how air can easily carry lots more moisture, and that's true, but research has shown that almost 90% of air flowing through a building envelope goes directly through the wall without depositing itself within the assembly. So the impact of air leakage is important and isn't captured here, but it's nowhere near as important as a lot of people have made it out to be. That's that's really interesting because those of us that are teaching building science in, in the field are kind of teaching the opposite of that, that moisture migration by the process of diffusion is so small that we shouldn't be worrying about it as much as we, we do because we end up trapping moisture in our assemblies because air is moving moisture past the vapor retarder. Yeah, you know, the, the, the issue with air leakage and the impact of moisture is that you really need to know the path that the air is going to flow. And if if you know that, then son of a gun, get your cockpit out and block it. 99% of the time, we don't know that information. So again, you're right, it is a significant contributor, but it's not as great a contributor as I think a lot of researchers has, have made it out to be because of the, the flow through of, of air. You know, think of a hole underneath of, uh, underneath a bathtub. Well, that's going to let a lot of air through, but that's not going to impact the moisture performance of your structure because it's going to flow right into the building envelope, bypassing the entire structure of the envelope. Yeah, one one caveat uh, I would make is that there this this tool assumes that you've met code. It assumes that you have built good building practice, that you have done all the other things, size the equipment. If you have a localized area of failure within this uniform building, then this that's telling you that you're in the green may not be in the green. So the, this tool assumes you've done all the other things correctly. 
And if you've done all the other things correctly, you shouldn't have a lot of mass transfer of moisture from the house that was generated in the home from people moving into the walls. And so it's really important. That's why I get back to this is a book within a library of other things. And we need to stress that this assumes you have wind-driven rain taken care of, that you flashed correctly, that you've managed the moisture through your HVAC, and most importantly, that you don't have localized failures in the vapor retarder and, and the, uh, that can cause, uh, given a particular climate, localized problems. And, 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 and so what this is doing is designing, assuming you've done all those things correctly and telling what your risk is. All bets are off. I mean, everything's gonna shift in this, from green towards the red if you have poor construction details. And so this doesn't assume that Bubba's in the home. It assumes that there's good people that understand that this building has been built tight, ventilated right, that you have quality assurance from a good third party or, or uh, code officials that know what they're doing. And if you have got all those things, then the tool is excellent in showing you and showing you what the risk could be. For example, if you could do this, as you just showed by doing a, um, uh, changing the vapor retarder to craft. If a builder didn't wanna do that, there's other solutions. One could be adding foam insulation to the exterior. Again, assuming that you've dealt with all the mass transfer of moisture into the wall, if you tried this out again, and you'd probably get green if you added one inch of CI, or you might find that by putting a ventilated drainage plane in, it would have an impact, maybe not in your climate, but other climates. And that's the interesting thing is, is how you're using this for teaching or training or what if, so people can specify for their specific project what meets, it may be that in certain times you can't spec the craft and you're gonna yeah. spec it. But you might wanna try the CI example if, if you think it's worth it. But I think the really important takeaway is that don't assume that just because you get a green light in building science advisors, you can walk away. You have to understand the other advice that is based on the Building America Solution Center that this tool will send you to if you have uh, options that are going to allow you to do it better. Were you able to put a CI in there? Yeah, yeah I, I put in one inch of continuous insulation, but uh, took out the interior vapor retarder and it bucked us up just a little bit more it's into familiar. the yellow than it was before because we've pretty much taken away the drying potential to the outside i think yeah that's right there. and so that's right perfect yeah. yeah and and these are the things that you can do here that may be alternatives or complementary that will reduce the real world risk of bubba and that's the important thing is so. yeah and that's a, a great great point to understand when using it uh, the frame of reference of how it was developed so that you can assess the information that comes out uh, properly there. And probably I would think that what you're saying is that you want to be in the green uh, so that when when the reality of the construction process happens and everything isn't perfect, uh, you're you're better off uh, uh, in protecting yourself. That's perfectly that's said. Well said. Yeah, that's right. The tool is in intended to be more more comparative, right? If you do this, it gets better. And so you can kind of, as, as Michael was suggesting, you can try all of these iterations and you're already an expert. It only took you 10 seconds to make that last 
at last transition when you added a continuous insulation. And you can go through, you know, multiple changes within the construction to see how, you know, what what are the combinations of, of parameters that give you the best performance? You're a wonderful resource for everybody, and I'm glad that we're able to get the word out there a little bit more for you. Is there anything that you'd like to leave us with before we say goodbye? I just want to thank you, Robbie, for the opportunity to share this and the feedback. And I think the dialogue that's particularly the last discussion is the why it's so important that we look at the Building America Solution Center to help the people build the house right and then use the building science advisor to fine tune it to the needs of moisture management. And we need to understand both. And I, I think that was a good discussion here today. Great. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. I really appreciate you being on the Billcast and look forward to speaking to you more. Thank you for listening to this episode of Buildcast, brought to you by Build Tank Inc. To see show notes and learn more about our guests and other episodes, visit the Buildcast page of our website at www.btankinc.com. Thank you, Ben Sound, for our music and to Ashley Owen for editing it. And you, for your encouragement and guidance in the creation of Buildcast. You can listen to Buildcast on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite platform. If you enjoyed our show and are willing, please take a moment to subscribe and review Buildcast, which will help others find it more easily. Thanks again for listening, and please let us know who you would like to hear next and if you have any suggestions to make Buildcast better. Until next time. Be safe and continue to think zero to 360.